This is the Schnauzer Logic Radio Company. And this is not the podcast, episode number five, being recorded on a Friday. It's November the 11th, 2022. <laughs> Son of Easter, my friend. Son of Easter, welcome. You've managed to tune in, latch on, download. No, you've managed to tune in, latch on, and otherwise download that stream of. I'm. Wait, wait. Son of Easter, my friend. Son of Easter, you've managed to tune in, latch on, and tune in, latch on, and otherwise download that stream of bits known around the world as not the podcast. Last week I called it something else. Yes, this is not the podcast you voted for. And this is not the podcast Elon paid $44 billion for. And this is certainly not the podcast that will cure your acne. I kind of feel like I should start over, but, you know, there's no there's no going back. And my name is Robin Goldstein, and I'm your host, I'm your buddy, and I'm your pal. I'm also a straight white Buddhist vegetarian lesbian fraternity boy trapped in the body of a recovering transsexual woman patent attorney with a bizarre sense of humor and a master's degree in city planning. And I'm thrilled and delighted to welcome each and every one of you here to our... Uh, newest episode, which uh, I was going to say is guaranteed to be something. I think it's guaranteed to be at least 30 minutes long. It's probably the best that we can do at this point. And before we go any further, as always, want to say hello and welcome and all of that good stuff to our regular guests. Here we go. Home networking. Stop laughing. It's not funny. When is a good fairy going to take off my penis it's none of your business it may be silly but i guess we have to ask it are you are you are you gay it's none of your business nonsense babber english motherfucker do you speak it this is crap it's just radio i'm brian cox there you go 23 seconds you're never gonna get back in your life oh man how are you how are you are you are you are you okay? Are you doing all right? Have you managed to find a way to keep yourself calm through these tumultuous times here in the United States? Uh, we've just gone through our midterm elections. Uh, that is uh, no uh, pro- provides for no shortage of uh, of panic, tax, anxiety, consternation. Um, I, I think on both sides of the political spectrum, and and I, you know, it's funny when I used to do radio back when I did uh, AM radio and KSCO in Santa Cruz, and I know that the predominantly the audience that they attracted were um, very right-wing, uh, uh, super conservative, super religious um, uh, uh, kinds of listeners. And, and so I went out of my way not to try to offend everyone. You know, there's always a, well, you know, there's good people on both sides kind of thing, um, where uh, I think the reality is that I, I don't actually think that there are good people on both sides, which is not to say that there aren't good people on both sides. Um, but I grew up, I, <laughs> I'm always surprised because I had no idea what I was going to talk about today. And I realized like we're already into this thing. And, uh, and so there you go. Um, I grew up amazingly uh, in a Republican household. My folks, Jewish uh, sort of uh, lower working class and middle class uh, folks. My my mom was uh, r- raised in a tenement. Her her 
uh, parents were both immigrants uh, and, you know, worked in sort of sweatshops and, and, you know, didn't really speak English. And so as a result, uh, they, they lived in a, in a five, uh, five floor cold water walk up. I remember going to visit my grandparents there when I was a little kid. And, um, and my dad, I think, was better off. Uh, one of his folks was actually born in the United States, but his mom was born uh, outside of the U.S. Um, and so, but, but I think both of them were not particularly what I would call um, uh, liberal in the sense of being progressives. They were not progressives. I think for the time, they considered themselves to be, you know, forward-thinking, open-minded kinds of folks, but I think that they were bound by all of the prejudices uh, of that time. And, um, you know, it's funny because I'm of that age where I very, very clearly remember the Vietnam War. I only missed having to apply for the draft by about a year, I think. There were folks who were older than me, you know, when I was in high school, who had turned 18 and had to get their draft card. Now, I don't know that any of them were actually called up, but it was sort of that era of time. And, and of course, the war was on the news every night back in the day, you know, Walter Cronkite and, you know, NBC and C- and, and ABC and, and, and politics was a Big conversation, but I think my folks voted for Nixon both times, um, and I know that they supported Republican local officials. They were sort of uh, so- socially liberal, economically conservative. That was a that was a a very strong, I think, wing of the Republican Party here in the United States uh, at that point in my life. And and to be honest with you, I remember voting for Republicans. Uh, in my life, because I thought that they, while I didn't necessarily agree with them on on every issue, it sort of felt to me like they were uh, aligned socially, at least to the extent that they were libertarian in their, I may disagree with your personal beliefs about behavior, but as long as they're not hurting somebody else, I'm going to leave you alone, and I'm not going to sort of get in your way, I'm not going to get in your house, I'm not going to get in your bedroom, I'm not going to get in your face. And, and their economic policies were ones that sort of felt more appropriate to me at that point in my life. Um, and and so when I sort of think about like, oh, there's good people on both sides, like I still think, I assume that there are those kind of Republicans who are out there. Um, and I, and I, maybe there are. I, I, in fact, how can you how can you say, how can you have a broad brush and go like, well, there aren't any like that. It's just not possible. Like, of course there are. Of, co- of course there are out there. But, but their voices are not the voices that are being amplified in the mainstream media. Those voices are not being amplified by the party. Those are not what the media is talking about. That's not how I understand the Republican Party at this point. And so um, it was very hard for me. Uh, as I voted, and I voted by mail, as I always do, I think I voted by mail for the last, I don't know, at least 10, 15 years, sort of back when I was working uh, at Apple and, and other places, the, the, the prospect of having to sort of deal with standing in line and waiting to vote didn't make any sense to me. Like, I had a job I needed to do, and I wasn't going to get, even if I got time off, it didn't matter. I mean, I had to, you know, be where I needed to be. I had a team to manage, and so it's much easier to vote by mail. Plus, it meant that I could sit down on sort of a Saturday morning with a cup of coffee and open up my web browser and all the documents and everything that people 
people it's stuffed into my mailbox or under my doormat and take a look and go like, all right, so what's your position on this? And how do you feel about that? And then kind of make my decisions, you know, over the course of a morning, not in the two or three minutes and feeling sort of pressured having to go in there and what, et cetera, et cetera. So um, as I went through my ballot this time and looked at who was running for various offices, and I'll admit this, there was a bias, which was any time there was an office that I didn't know much about either candidate, right? It was a, you know, more of a local office, obviously not a, not a national office, uh, but, a, but a local office, something uh, either countywide or citywide, but potentially statewide. Um, and I would look at who the candidates were, and if the candidate was Republican, I thought to myself, like, you may be really good, but how the fuck can I vote for you if you are today in 2022 aligning yourself with a party that effectively stands for we don't believe that the last election results were valid, right? That we're, we're, we're denying the validity of the, of the government. And so it's a, it's a huge challenge. You know, the other place that I felt this which is interesting. I was listening to a conversation, listening to a podcast, um, uh, 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 Mark Maron's uh, W2F, a What the Fuck podcast, and he was interviewing um, uh, Skip uh, uh, Gates. Um, the the I'm, I'm forgetting his uh, uh, name right now, but he uh, is a is a scholar, a black scholar at Harvard, who has a program about knowing your roots. Uh, Henry Louis Gates, that's it. But, um, but 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 I think his friends call him Skip, and so I'll take that uh, uh, w- with all due respect. Call him Skip Gates, and he was talking to Mark uh, and and sort of suggested that he, as an academic, was against any kind of censorship of ideas, that he thought that there should be a completely free and open marketplace of ideas, 100%, even the most vile ideas should be given some uh, oxygen because daylight was the best disinfectant. And I think for a long time in my life, as someone who, I don't know if I was rebelling against anything, but I was a a First Amendment absolutist. Uh, I I sort of felt, you know, what, what they used to say, you know, I disagree with your point of view, but I will defend to my death your right to say it. And then what I realized was that there were people whose point of view was that I did not have the right to exist, that my identity uh, as a trans person or my identity as a Jewish person, even though I'm not practicing, they didn't understand it that way, or my identity in any one of a number of different ways, that that was not a legitimate identity. Then and therefore I did not have a right to exist. And and I thought to myself after reading some interesting uh, articles and, and scholarly uh, dissertation that that it was foolish of me, it was naive and childlike of me to say, well, I understand that your point of view is that if you get into power, you're going to execute me, but I still feel as though I need to defend your ability to to promulgate that point of view. Um, the reality is, I fucking don't, and I don't want to promulgate your view. And I understand that that often becomes a really hard, like, where do you draw the line, right? The whole slippery slope argument. I, I get it. I was trained as a lawyer, uh, although I barely passed uh, I barely passed um, uh, constitutional law, but 
Um, and this is true. I did learn how to juggle three balls. So, uh, so rather than studying for my con law final, I decided that was the right time to learn how to juggle. And somebody gave me a juggling kit with three soft little uh, uh, cubes, ball, cu- ball cubes kind of things. And I learned how to juggle those. And uh, to this day, uh, I would suggest that I probably made the right decision. But in any event, um, and so I don't support that. Um, but it's hard to take a position uh, in a public space because while I don't feel as though uh, a sort of very uh, aggressive points of view that that would deny my ability to exist, right? That would deny my ability to uh, pursue life, uh, liberty, and and happiness. Um, I, I I don't know whether I have friends. I mean, I hope I don't. But what if I have friends who are like that? What do I do about that? Right? And do I sort of chase those people out of my life? Do I risk offending them? Do I risk putting myself in harm's way? It's a, it's a challenging topic. So in any event, now I I've really lost the thread of how the hell I got here. So, um, but anyhow, I hope that you are well. That is obviously a, a challenging space right now here in the United States. This is a, a uh, it, it's sort of sucked most of the oxygen out of the room in the months leading up to the election, which happened on Tuesday, and I suspect will continue to suck the oxygen out of the room um, while we wait for the results to come in to see who controls the Senate and who controls the House of Representatives. And I don't think that it's a certainty at this point. Um, but I will finish my uh, screed, uh, vo- verbal screed, is that a thing? Of, of read, I guess, um, by saying um, uh, that I am hugely, hugely disappointed um, in the Democratic Party. Uh, I voted uh, as often as possible to replace incumbent candidates with other Democratic candidates because in listening to those who have been in office and in power now for years and years and years and years and years, they are they 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 are unwilling to take action uh, and see the current environment as being anything other than a sort of ongoing continuous uh, you know variation of the norm. These institutionalists, if you will, uh, who feel like yeah you know we can't really get too upset about any of these things. You know stuff sort of moves a little to the left and moves a little to the right, but in the end it always comes back to the center. And I think there are many people who are recognizing I've had conversations with friends of mine. This is crazy about at what point do we, right, either as Jewish people or trans people or any other group that I might identify with, um, yes, I have a library card, um, at what point do we need to leave the country? Like, at what point do you say, like, I think it's not safe for me to be here anymore? And by the way, I feel perfectly safe where I am. I mean, I think where I, I, I would like to believe where I live in this part of the country is incredibly safe. But I got a flyer. Again, I promise I'm going to stop talking about this. Well, I got a flyer under my door from someone, a woman running for a local uh, school board seat. And, you know, usually it's like, all right, well, you know, change is good and let's see what's going on. And on this flyer, right, this 
you know, this kind of printed, glossy door hanger flyer was, you know, we should not be teaching our children about sexuality and we should not be teaching them about the trans agenda. And I thought, oh, motherfucker, I am going to find out who you are and absolutely make sure that I don't vote for you and none of my friends vote for you. And like, it was just, and so to realize like, oh shit, like it's like literally at my doorstep, this feeling, right? And 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 not someplace where you feel like, oh, well, you know, this is another part of the country that's, you know, the Bible belt or whatever, you know, the horrible cliches. It's like, no, 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 it's fucking right here in the heart of the Silicon Valley, which we, you would assume would be a, a bastion of, of liberal uh, uh, beliefs. And, uh, but I think really all is is capitalist beliefs. Anyhow, so... There you go. Not going to talk about this anymore. I managed to chew up 16 minutes in this episode. What did I want to talk about? Uh, you know, I didn't make any notes about what I wanted to talk about. Um, one of the things that has sort of uh, stopped me, I think, again, from doing uh, the episodes as often as I would like, because I would like to do them on a weekly basis. That was the idea that I had. And then I think maybe I would even do them more than on a weekly basis. But um uh, and I think last the last episode, again, failing the rules of radio where you're never supposed to go backwards, you're only supposed to go forward, forward momentum, um, I sort of felt like my mental health was in the way and I didn't want to have any conversations with folks about that and that sort of stopped me and um, unfortunately that all really worked out nicely, so that's been terrific. Um, but I think I, I have continued to have these these psychological breakthroughs in the most positive way. And, and one of the things that I came to the conclusion of, well, I think one of the things that was causing me um, some internal turmoil, if you will, pain, psychological pain and, and depression and pressure, um, was the sense of, I have been driving myself forward. I must have real regular work. I must be employed full-time. In fact, I spoke to my uncle just the other day, love him, 94 years old, you know, retired rabbi, and and he said to me, I think sort of thinking of me as someone who is like in their 30s, he's like, well, how's the work situation going? You know, and I and I said to him, and maybe it sounded harsh, I didn't mean it, but he's, uh, I love him, and he was very understanding. I said, you know, I've come to the conclusion I don't know that it's a decision, but I've come to the conclusion that I am probably now permanently unemployed, which is not to say that I, I won't have a contract here or a consulting opportunity there or something of that nature, because I, I will. I'm doing some work for some really terrific folks, and I got a call this week from somebody who wants to pay me a few hundred bucks to speak to somebody on the phone for an hour about what I know about uh, thinking about... Uh, autonomy and and design and I was like that's great like those those little opportunities will come along and hopefully they'll pay a you know a cable bill or an electric bill or things of those nature but but the idea that I could be part of something bigger that I could be part of something larger which I really long to do right that that's part of me is feeling the need to belong to something that is bigger than myself that I get to contribute to something that is bigger than myself the conclusion that I've come to is that's not going to happen. And, and it's not that it couldn't happen. I think that's really important for me, which is there's nothing about me 
specifically that makes it impossible that that would happen. But but having now reached a point in my life where I'm older, right? I'm I'm now you know technically I'm older than sixty five, right? Just t- having turned sixty five, right? And so I am and being interested in working in a field where I don't have 30 years of credentials. I I spoke at Stanford Biodesign uh, this past, a week ago, Friday, which I maybe we'll talk about a little bit here because that was also an interesting experience. Um, but uh, but I spoke and was introduced my pro- because you know university everybody needs to have some kind of credentials after their name. I don't know why, but they do. And so the credentials that showed up right after my name immediately were JD, and and I I bristled. That was almost like dead naming me. <laughs> <laughs> in a in a professional sense and and of course what i realize is like well uh, of course you know me as jd right that was the you know juris doctor was the was the way that the world understood me for the bulk of my life right for 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 the you know the first 30 years of my career 23 yeah at least the first 30 years of my career that's how you understood me even if i didn't understand myself that's way right that's what was on my business card that was what's on my cv that's how i was introduced when i was a speaker someplace right that was the that was the identity that i i kind of attached to myself that then of course opened doors so then i could get a job here or i could work here or i could do that this and that kind of a thing um and and the fact that I didn't want to do that 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 was an, re- an identity that I I rejected um, didn't matter because that was the one that was allowing me to move you know cleanly through the world and so having made the decision I don't know probably seven eight years ago now like that that was not it I was not going to be practicing law any longer I'm 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 still admitted to the bar in a couple of states um, where I was admitted, but I've I've never been admitted uh, as a general practitioner in California. Only registered in house counsel, and so therefore I'm not practicing law in Cal- California because I'm not in house counsel anywhere. Um, that 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 I was going to be a product person. I was going to be a design person. That I was going to take everything that I had learned and try to change how people thought about uh, disruption and innovation. The the thing that I am clearly passionate about. If you if you catch me anywhere and ask me some questions, I can go off for 30 minutes. I can give you a one-on-one TED talk, or if your name's not TED, I can give you whatever kind of talk you are, um, and meet you where you are and begin to enlighten you and get light bulbs to turn on and it gets you excited about change. Like That is the thing that I'm passionate about. You can hear the, the nature of change, uh, the nature of excitement in my voice just talking about talking about it. That's the thing that I'm interested in. And one of the things that I realized was, I may be interested in this. This may be how I see myself. I may feel like I have something to offer. But for people who have known me for 20, 30 or more years as a lawyer, right, it's the same as when I, and this is a, a really weird insight that I came to, it's, it's kind of the same as people who knew me as male, right? And now that's so long ago that the number of people that knew me as male is much smaller, I think, the pe- than the number of people who have known me as, you know, identifying as female, right? Because you kind of continue to move forward again, that, 
radio forward momentum. But there was a period of time where it was like, well, I've known you for 20 years and you've always been this other person or this other identity or this other name. And so it's going to take me time to change, even though you may feel differently about it. I don't see that. Like I have to, I've got a lot of inertia, right? I mean, we've got a lot of mass that's been moving. Yes, I'm heavier, but like I've got a lot of inertia that kind of continued to move me in that other direction. I'm going to have to change the direction of the ship, right? This battleship, you know, Goldstein, and it's going to take me some time. And so what I realized, what that's exactly what's going on now, which is like in my mind, I just kind of, you know, flipped on a dime. It's like, oh shit, I'm not a lawyer anymore. I'm now this other thing. Like I'm self-identifying <laughs> as a product person, as a designer, as a as a futurist. And and those elements were always there. But suddenly it's like, yeah, you may see that, but like I don't like where's the where's your degree from a design school or where is your degree from, you know, uh, uh, you know, a business school where where you've been doing marketing and product design. Like none of that. Like I don't have any of those kinds of things. And so what I've done is tried to latch on and bootstrap um, my uh, city planning degree. Uh, I've got a master's degree in city planning. As you hear at the beginning of each show or I run down my credentials, it's actually true. But I try to leverage that. And so little by little, what I realize is I'm slowly building a new resume, a new CV, a new identity, a new uh, me that the world will understand. But here's the thing. That's much harder to do in your 60s than it is to do in your 20s or your 30s or even in your 40s, right? There's a lot less flexibility. And no one is looking for a product designer or someone who's thinking about innovation and disruption for a corporate kind of a gig, which I, I, I think I'd be willing to take, right? If there were an interesting opportunity and it was, you know, sort of located in a way that I, you know, didn't have to work 90 hours a week because I think at this age, it's, I don't really want to work 90 hours a week, but I'm certainly willing to work, you know, 50 hours a week. I'm already doing that kind of stuff. And so what I realized is like, oh, that's, that's not going to happen because nobody's hiring someone in their 60s for the first time in an entry-level position. Um, regardless of the fact that I bring all of this experience forward to me. And so I reached a conclusion probably a couple of weeks ago now, I think probably must have been since the last podcast, where I realized like, I'm done. Like, I think I'm finished. I don't want to be finished, but I have to acknowledge and admit to myself that I'm probably done. And, and so I am unemployed right? I don't think I'm retired, but I am unemployed and, and likely to be unemployable in a way that's meaningful to me. And then I began to think about like, well, what do you do with that? How do you understand that? And I spent a lot of time thinking about the fact and acknowledging the fact, again, going back to um, uh, an interesting idea from the beginning of today's ep, that, uh, you know, that, that there were folks that came over to this country, right? You know, my, my relatives, my ancestors, uh, many of whom I, I, I remembered, you know, um, who came over, right, who fled <clears throat> the pogroms and who fled, you know, the Nazi occupation, and they, you know, we tell these we we tell these brave stories about how they they left their home with nothing but the clothes on their back, right? And 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 that's a that's a that's a a, a story that I think is of of, of bravery and, and a story of of, of incredible courage. Um, but how the fuck do you do that? Like like how do you start again 
when you have nothing. And I began to think about the fact that I'm not the first person that has to effectively, because I'm not retired, right? But not, not, I'm not the first person who has to think about starting again, right? Like having everything that you thought you had taken away in some domain. Again, financially, I'm fortunate. So I, that, that's not an issue for me. But as, as we know, like that's not enough. Like having money is a good thing. It's a necessary thing, but it's not, a, it's not sufficient. It's necessary, but not sufficient. And so what do I do about that? And so I started to think, I thought about like, well, what about the people who had their lives completely uprooted during, you know, either having to flee right? Uh, you know, the horrors of, of what was happening in World War II and prior to World War II, or those who might have survived uh, being in a concentration camp. Again, um, there are people that um, have their entire lives uprooted, like when their homes are destroyed by natural, uh, na- natural events, right? Uh, hurricanes and earthquakes. And like, you know, you see these horrible stories about people who like literally lose everything. They've lost everything, right? And you have people who wind up going to prison, right? Sometimes they're violent, you know, felons, and sometimes they're people who have just made bad, bad, bad decisions, dumb, bad decisions, broken the law, you know? But like suddenly like, oh yeah, your life is now completely different. Like you don't get to take any of that shit that you had with you. Like it's, it's uprooted at this point. And so I started to look like, like how do those people, how do people who've gone through this, because again, this feels like it's probably a part of the human experience. How do those people go through this? And um, and not surprisingly, uh, as you as you uh, as you might imagine, therefore would not be surprising. Um, there are lots of things that have been written about this, right? This is a common. I have been fortunate to have uh, not run into this, but this is a, a a common experience, which is to say, human beings go through this on a regular basis. This kind of a loss. And in fact, I have a a, a really dear friend um, who is a grief counselor. Uh, I won't. I won't mention her name because I didn't ask her permission, so I don't want to uh, mention her name at this point. If you're interested, uh, and it's and having access to a grief counselor is helpful, um, you can send a note. I'll give all that contact information at the end of the podcast, and uh, and I can I will forward it on to her so that you can connect. But anyhow, I, I talked to her about this because I thought, well, who do I know who I can talk to? Because I can't really talk to any of my tech bros or my financial bros, right, or any of that stuff because they're like they're they're in the middle of the hunt right now. And so talking to somebody who's in the middle of trying to catch a wild tiger about like, well, what happens when you no longer want to catch tigers, you know, or you're not able to catch tigers, like, leave me the fuck alone. Like, this is not the conversation to have right now. Um, but the reality is, um, my friend, I, I talked to her and I go, well, what can you tell me about this? And, and she was incredibly helpful. And one of the things that she said, which I think has been more beneficial to my mental health than anything else in the last couple of weeks is you need to allow yourself the space to grieve. Yes, you need to begin to think about what's next. What I've been saying is, it's over, let's begin, right? This kind of notion of the last chapter is done, 
it's time to start writing a new chapter. And in my mind, right, being the kind of type A class personality I am, I just made that up. That's not even a thing. But like being that kind of a person, like I feel like, okay, let's get together. Let, let's get let's get started writing this new chapter right away. And what she said was, no, 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 no. I mean, you can, you know, find to give it some thought, you know, rub a couple of brain cells together and see what comes out. But like now is the time to allow yourself to grieve the passing of what was. And grieving means remembering those elements that you that you did, th- those aspects that were that were positive and beautiful and wonderful and and fulfilling and and also remembering those things you didn't get to do, that kind of loss opportunity and 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 the loss of connections. And and so giving my spell myself. I know this probably, if you're not in my world, this feels incredibly fucking self-indulgent. And I, and I apologize if it's not relatable to you. That's, I, I do apologize. I mean, I, I understand. But, but I'm in a position where I can be indulgent enough to say, how do I give myself space to grieve for the life that I had, right? Even like literally up until months before the pandemic started, um, because the last three years effectively took whatever opportunities might have still been on the horizon and effectively shut them down. And now we sort of rejoin this journey already in progress. And it's three years later and we're not meeting people where they were. Everybody else is everybody, not everybody else, everybody is three years further down the road. And those roads, those roads have diverged and changed. And so the kinds of things that I had hoped to be able to do were no longer possible. And so there is a grieving element, which I think I had not been kind to myself about doing, but which I do need to do. And then to begin to think about, okay, so what comes next? And I was having uh, dinner with a friend uh, just the other day. And I said to him, you know, when I remember turning 40, that it was clear to me that this was a milestone of some importance. And, and I joked that turning 40 was kind of like a new, uh, a new act in a play. Uh, and and the, the stage directions, as I was writing out the, the script of, uh, of this play, was, you know, you know, act two, where we say goodbye to some old characters, we say hello to some new characters, and we bring along a few pieces of furniture. And it felt to me like that was probably a good way to think about what was happening. No shit. I had more to talk about, but like we're already 30 minutes into this, so. 60 seconds remaining. All right. So, uh, yeah. So this feels good to me. I'm glad to have done this. Uh, <laughs> um, I didn't even talk about the song that I wrote. I wrote a song parody. <laughs> For the Stanford Biodesign class, where I'm a, uh, a mentor, and I get to give my annual uh, moving from innovation to disruption lecture, which I really did want to talk about because I think it's so interesting, um, and and I didn't do that. So maybe we'll do that next time. Maybe I'll even play it for you. Um, anyhow, uh, I want to thank you all for listening. Uh, I'm trying to figure out how to get all of this shit done right here now. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's see. So I I'm just I'm getting better. <laughs> okay, that's more. Oh, oh. I just need more practice, I promise. Three, two, one, and stop! Hands in the air! All right, there we go. 
I think we're coming to the end. All right. So thanks very much. Uh, maybe I'll do another episode within the week. I'm going to continue to try. Um, please, wherever you tell your friends about this podcast and subscribe and like and uh, and, and link and review, rate and review, whatever those things are. Let's see. I wrote this down so that I wouldn't fuck it up. Uh, Not the Podcast is a production of the Schnauzer Logic Radio Company and is hosted by Red Circle, a fantastic platform for podcasts and brands to scale their message. Check them out at redcircle.com. Our theme music was written and recorded by me, Robin Goldstein, and you can contact us by writing to robin at notthepodcast.show or sending us a text or leaving a voicemail at 470-PODCAST. That's 470-PODCAST. And we're also on Twitter at notthepodcast99, although right now that seems like it's a bit of a, of a shit show, so who knows. Um, until next time, show up, pay attention, tell the truth. And don't be attached to the outcome. Thanks very much for listening. I hope that you have a good weekend or a good week or whenever you're listening. And uh, I promise uh, we will definitely do this again, and I'll see you next time. All right? Take care. Uh, Be kind to yourself. Bye. This is over now, and you just got to deal with it. I want you to know it's over. It's over, Jenny. It's over. It's over. Go away. It's over, Harvey. I'm sorry. I need to get on with my life. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go. Elvis has left the building. This is the Schnauzer Logic Radio Company.